was a teacher, and in my second year of teaching drama, I undertook. Well, I had the notion to direct Romeo and Juliet with my class in year nine. About three rehearsals in, I started to feel a little bit like it was less of a good idea to do this on my own. So I started to ask the Lord to provide me with someone to help me direct Romeo and Juliet. And uh, a person that I described as a boy who wanted to watch my lessons appeared. And um, I was a bit reluctant to have someone else watch my lessons. Because when you're a new teacher, you've done a year of observation, and the last thing you want is someone else watching your lessons. Anyway, it turns out that he said to me, why don't I help you direct Romeo and Juliet? Well, I thought that was good. But it, and um, then within three months, we were engaged. And I remember saying to my year 11 class, guess what? I'm going to marry Mr. Randall. And they said, yeah, it was obvious, you, obvious that you fancied him, miss. <laughs> and so after about 10 years of teaching, I then moved into church work. So I've been working for Exeter Network Church for about 10 years. During that time, I've also been a playwright. And I'm currently um, in the third year of training to be a vicar, which seemed to have surprised me more than it surprised my friends who are Christians and not Christians. They were all like, Anyway, uh, so that's what I do in my spare time, which obviously means I don't really have any spare time. And um, today, Naomi and Rich invited me to speak on the Holy Spirit, which is one of my favourite topics, so I'm really happy to do that. And I want to just show you the first side of, of um, this heaven on earth thing that we were projecting earlier. If you've been around a little while, and if you're on the training exchange programme, I drum this into your brains. Uh, so this is our core value at EMC from the Lord's Prayer. We want to agree with, with Jesus that heaven would come to earth, that we would see his kingdom established on earth uh, in our everyday work, in the life of our church and in our relationships. And there are different ways we do that and it's on the back and you can, you can take one of these cards when you're around on Sunday. This is the sort of things that we highly value, mission and spirit and scripture. And I think next week John's coming to speak on scripture. And so this week, I get to speak on the Holy Spirit, which is fun for me, and we get to do some practical, because uh, Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence, and it is something for us all to get involved with. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do a little intro, then we're going to look at some scripture together, and uh, then we'll um, have a little practice together on praying for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a really good idea to practice in these environments. If at this point you're thinking, oh crap, I, need to, I wish I was going home early so I could avoid that bit, don't worry, it's going to be absolutely fine and you'll be completely okay. And if you're very confident with uh, the phrase, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're very secure with the Holy Spirit, that is excellent news. And it's also really good to just like let your confidence be built tonight. Because one of the things I discovered as in my training is that in my cohort of about, I don't know, 20 trainee priests, many um, don't really understand the work of the Holy Spirit. They operate on a kind of dynamic of like God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Scripture. And I think they might think Holy Spirit is a dessert that you can opt into if you're really hungry, but otherwise leave to the side. And we're going to have a little uh, explore through scripture to see that Holy Spirit is not a dessert, <laughs> but is 
part God himself. So what we treasure, we treasure the Holy Spirit. You can relax about the slides for a bit, Toby, because we won't need it for ages. Um, so the, the Holy Spirit is God's gift of himself to his people. In John 11, in what we call Jesus' farewell speech, he's preparing for his death and he's prepping his disciples for that experience of him leaving them. And he tells them, so John 11, And 
And so if you find yourself on a fear, desperation, faith continuum, if we would place yourself, I would place myself, you know, on different days, at different spots along that continuum. And um, don't be worried about that. Just like own your spot on that continuum and look towards Jesus because that is what these people did. And then in John 20, we find that they are in the place of fear. So if you're in a place of fear or worry and you really need God to comfort you and draw close to you, then you can take faith tonight. So this is in John 20, verse 19. So Jesus has risen from the dead and he's been, uh, Mary Magdalene has seen, seen him outside the tomb. When it was evening on that day of the first week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. This is really important. So basically they kind of lock in. They're so scared of like the, the Jew, Jewish opposition outside. They've actually locked themselves in. Not just metaphorically, but actually locked themselves in. And they lock themselves in because they are so afraid Sometimes I do that. Sometimes when things get on top of me, I withdraw a bit from other people. And I, in fact, I withdraw a lot. <laughs> and, um, enter the, and, and sort of metaphorically lock down. And what is interesting is that whether you're physically locked in or metaphorically locked in, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And if you are feeling frightened or anxious or you've withdrawn for any reason, this same Jesus is here by his spirit now. And he comes among us and he looks at us. He's not scared of our fear. He's not scared of their fear. He just came in and looked at them and said, peace be with you. And he said, the Father has sent me, so I send you. Then he said, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you know the Bible a little bit, you might remember it right at the beginning of the creation story when uh, people are created, God breathes his breath into them. And uh, this is our, the, the new Adam, you know, the new kingdom ruler, and Jesus breathes. And the Spirit of God in the Old Testament is often associated with breath, and this word that we call ruach, which means like the breath, the wind of God. And Jesus in this, in this, when he comes in and he comforts them and he gives them his peace and he breathes on them, he also says, I'm sending you. <laughs> That's a bit of a drag in it because you kind of want to think hard to see with Jesus and your time, but it's always about equipping, it's always about being sent, it's always about building something new. And again, you've got an echo there from right back at the beginning of time when in the creation story Adam and Eve are created and, and they're sent out to like go out, multiply, be fruitful, create culture, that sort of thing. And uh, so we've got a reinstatement of humanity's job to be sent people, and so this breath, it's this breath of Holy Spirit is personal. It's like one by one, and it's corporate. It builds something together. And um, so the experience of the Holy Spirit of God, not just personal, corporate, not just for us, but for us, for the world. And we see this happen further on in Acts 2. You can have a look at Acts 2, 
and uh, what happens there is that the, they're waiting, they're waiting in Jerusalem, and God comes upon them with wind, wind fills the room, and fire. And wind and fire are symbols of the Holy Spirit that, that would have been recognisable to them from Old Testament times, from the Jewish Torah. And these revelations, they, they build their faith, they fill them with special power though. These people that were actually, if you look at the story of the Gospels, you know, those disciples, they weren't that great, they got it wrong quite a lot. And suddenly what happens is after the Holy Spirit has rested upon them, Peter goes out and loads of people become Christians and people are like, who is this guy? They must be drunk, this is mad. And lots of people become Christians because the Holy Spirit brings power and it brings power for evangelism. So we're thinking so far comfort, um, peace, power. All of these are dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this, this example where these ordinary people suddenly become powerful evangelists and miracle workers is a hallmark of the work of the Holy Spirit where us as ordinary people get to participate in extraordinary things. Jack and I were praying for someone on Monday night who came with a specific problem and uh, his faith was super high because I prayed for him before and he really experienced God and you know that's a double-edged sword because I was a bit like ah I hope he's not going to be disappointed <laughs> and um, me and Jack and they're praying we're like obviously empty-handed and uh, so we start praying for this guy and it and after we prayed for him a bit we sounded like we needed to speak softly because the presence of God in the room we just there was just a sense of the weight of God's presence in the room. And it felt like we were standing on holy ground. If I was Moses, I would have taken off my shoes. And of course, me and Jack are just ordinary. But the power of God is extraordinary. And as we were like hanging out, waiting for this person to come, obvious, well, maybe it's not obvious to you, but I can tell you, I was thinking, oh no. You know, his faith and expectations are sky high. And I'm just like, what, nothing? So if God doesn't come, we're properly stuffed here. And so you've got that horrible feeling of like, oh. So if someone asks you to pray for them and you're like, oh, you're really in good company. Most of us feel that way, but we just sort of get used to it. And um, so don't, don't, let your, don't let a little bit of feeling like, oh, I can't do it, get in the way of what God can do. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is for all people, whereas in the Old Testament we see in the Holy Spirit falling upon individuals for a specific purpose. What happens in the New Testament is that pro prophecy of Joel, I pour out my spirit on all people, um, comes around. And you can read about it in Luke 11, 13. And um, Jesus is teaching about stuff from verse 11, verse 9 onwards. And he says... Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So we just need to ask Him. We just need to say, God, send your Spirit. And you don't even need to know why. You know, when I pray for someone, I'll be like, Lord, send your Spirit. I have no idea what their needs are, but God does. And that is the, how we cooperate with Holy Spirit, is to just say, God, send your spirit on me, God, send your spirit here, send your spirit upon this person. That is the simplicity of the prayer. 
So we are going to have a little look through the big story of Scripture and explore some of the dimensions of the Holy Spirit because if, if you've been around um, sort of churches that experience the Holy Spirit for a while, you'll be maybe familiar with um, gifts of the Holy Spirit like speaking in tongues, the praise language of heaven, of uh, prophecy and words of knowledge where people say stuff only God could have told them because they don't know you, a supernatural healing, that sort of thing. And those things are all powerful works of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also does some other things and operates in some other ways. And I want us to just have a look at those together today. So in what, what's going to happen is some people are going to bring around um, a bit of paper. And what it is a scripture. Look it up on your phone if, you, if you're not that familiar with it. And identify what it tells you about the work of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to do it in a group of about five. It's not an exam. It's just a little bit uh, to, to transform our minds, to remind us what scripture does. So if you just hand them out randomly into like groups of four, that, that Isaiah one comes as a pair. And if you get the one that's Ephesians, the verse is, the reference is right and the text is wrong. Okay, so look it up on your phones. So as soon as you've got it, get into a three or a four or a five or something, have a look at the scripture and work out what is the Holy Spirit doing in this bit of scripture. Okay, no, people, right, let's do that. Okay, so uh, 
hopefully that's long enough. If anyone wants the sheet, I can email it to you. But anyway, uh, there's a little bit. Let's go for this one. Who got Genesis 1? Show me if you've got Genesis 1. Okay, good. Right, so if you didn't get Genesis 1, listen up so you know what the scripture is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. How would you say that describes the action of the Holy Spirit? What did different groups who had that one come up with? What sort of words came to mind? What did you think? So, so okay, sorry. Part of creation, yeah, what else? In what way is Holy Spirit active in creation there? Yes, that's a very important point, and I'm going to speak about that on Sunday, this three-in-one thing. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so they're indivisible. You can't separate them. So when the Spirit's acting, we know the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are joining in. Um, this one I particularly wanted to bring up because if you have a little look closely, and so if, you, if you've got your scripture coming up, have a closer look. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Basically, there's zero. There is nothing. <laughs> and God, by his spirit, makes something out of nothing. That's like extreme creativity. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you will be um, sort of fairly extreme creatives, I think, in the way you think. You'll get ideas out of nowhere. And it's really good to ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon that. God loves to be in that place of making something out of nothing. And so store up that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to make things out of nothing. Exodus 31, who got that? Show me so I know who to look for. Who got it? Someone must have got it. Oh yeah, good. The Lord spoke to Moses. I have called by name the there's that, I can't say the bloke's name, but it begins with a B and it's got a Z in the middle of it. I'm not going to try. Son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood in every kind of craft. So how would you sum up the work of the Holy Spirit here? What is it? Yes, and what specifically is his special power, this bloke? Making stuff, yeah. Artistic designs or craftsmanship. So if you are involved in creative design, art, theatre, making stuff, carving, I don't know, woodwork, sewing, anything along that spectrum, it will be very interesting for you to know that this bloke is the first in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, if you felt a little bit like, oh, it's just a hobby that God's not really fussed about, God is really fussed about it. Right, this creativity thing, um, crafting as well, physically shaping stuff, is the work of the Holy Spirit and God honours it. And so you can invite, that may be a natural gift you have, but you can invite Holy Spirit, Spirit to impart that gift to you or strengthen that gift that you already have. So craftsmanship. 
He also has intelligence and knowledge in every kind of craft, so sort of diversity in this guy, which I really like because it is God saying, actually craftsmanship, making stuff, creative pursuits, they are important to me. And um, okay, next one. Who got Josh Deuteronomy? Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses has laid his hands on him. What was his special power? Yes, okay, so the work of the Holy Spirit was to impart wisdom. I'm always praying that prayer. I always want the wisdom of God, because the wisdom of Sam is not enough. And it was imparted by the laying on of hands, and I included that, because if you think it's weird when someone says, can I lay a hand on you, maybe it is a bit weird, but like, it's in God's plan, okay, so we're good with it? Um, okay, great, thank you. So is there anyone that wants wisdom later on? We can pray for that as well. Isaiah 32, the palace and the city will be deserted and busy towns will be empty. While donkeys will flourish and flocks will graze in the empty forts and watchtowers. Until at last, the spirit is poured out from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field. And the field will yield bountiful crops. Justice will rule in the wilderness, righteous in the fertile land. And his righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. I mean, this is a really good one. Um, the Holy Spirit brings fertility, fruitfulness, justice, righteousness, quietness and confidence. Quietness and confidence forever. I think that's very interesting because sometimes the presence of God isn't like a noisy big thing. It's a settling of quietness and steadiness in people. But it also needs to, uh, leads to this outworking of righteousness and justice. Oh, we could do all of these, but I'm going to skip on a bit. I want to. Um, I want to look at who got two Corinthians three. Who got that lot? Did someone get yeah. there? Good. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then they got the other verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is Spirit. So Jack, sum up what you thought was going on there with what's the Holy Spirit up to? Suddenly, 
worship was like, oh yeah, I just want to do it, you know. I just kind of want to participate in the ways of God. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but I, that's how I interpret this, this freedom and law thing. Um, I'm going to skip over some of the other scriptures. We haven't got loads of time, but what I wanted to pick out, oh, I want to show you, can I have my interesting slide? Well, I think it's interesting. Toby thought it was interesting too. Um, so <laughs> I've got this slide from words that are used, the prevalence of words in the Old Testament, and the prevalence of ruach, which means like breath, wind, uh, spirit of God, is up there in the small print, used 389 times in the Old Testament. And down the bottom we've got blessing, 71 uses, glory, 200, law instruction and teaching, 200 plus, covenants important at 250. But out in the lead is this Holy Spirit, this breath, wind, this presence of God. And I just wanted to present that because sometimes I think we can trip ourselves up because we think Holy Spirit is a New Testament invention. And what is actually the case is Holy Spirit is always eternal with the Father. But the sacrifice of Jesus meant the Holy Spirit is accessible to everyone. Whereas in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is resting upon particular people for particular purposes. And in the New Testament times after Jesus, Holy Spirit does rest on people for particular purposes and particular times, but we are all included in that particularity. God wants to meet with all of us. So this is really interesting, isn't it? Might be quite helpful. This sort of thing's helpful to me when I'm at my vicar school and, and, they, and people freak out at like someone else doing this in worship. Someone said to me the other day, did you see someone was raising their hands in worship? I said, no. I was like, really? They were like, yes, I mean, what do you think of that? I said, oh, I think it's fine. You know, the Bible talks about lifting up holy hands. It's all chill. And they were like, oh, so it's quite good. If people are like, well, that wacky, weird, Holy Spirit stuff you're into, it's like, hmm, is it wacky? Is it weird? I don't think so. It's like from before the beginning, this is the work of God. And um, if, incidentally, you're feeling some of your like, ooh, I think I thought that, and you're finding your thoughts just realigning slightly, um, then just bring that before God and just, uh, it's really good to just say, God, I'm sorry, I've cornered you in, I've boxed you in. Because repentance always leads to life and freedom. You don't need to make a drama out of it. You can just now be just saying to God, expand my mind. I'm sorry that I've compartmentalized your work. So I'd like to especially notice some of the dimensions of what Holy Spirit brings. Creative power and order. And uh, in as I was on my way here, I was wondering uh, what... We'll invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us with his presence in a minute, but there's a couple of specific things. One is, I was wanting to bring you right into the centre of the party. If you're a sort of list-making organiser, like if there was going to be an event and everyone would be like, oh yes, good idea, but you'd be the one thinking, okay, let's think about where it's going to be, let's think about how we're going to invite people, let's organise the food. All that is a gift of administration. It's a gift to the people of God. And it is something Holy Spirit loves, and you may not have seen it as a spiritual gift. But you, you'll see administration in Corinthians listed as a spiritual gift. And so really good to embrace that. And I think if you're in that category of being that sort of person, 
then God wants to really fill you and encourage you tonight. Um, other things Holy Spirit does, there's anointing for leadership, you see that a lot in the Old Testament. Holy Spirit always provokes worship. Always calls us to worship. And um, Scripture tells us in Ephesians 5.18, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, this isn't a one-off. I prayed for someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit at my vicar school because they'd never even heard of it. They're trained to be a priest. And I, and I was like, can I pray for you to experience, like, God's presence? They were like, okay. And I prayed for them. And afterwards, they were like, wow, I won't forget that for a long time. And I thought, no, it's not one-off. <laughs> this is, like, continuous. We're continuously invited to know the living presence. And I want to talk a little bit about, just in the last couple of minutes, about prayer training. So you will have seen here and in our gatherings, we say if you're on the prayer team, come and offer prayer. And I've got some training two weeks today before Essence and there will be food. And I'd love you to sign up and come along. And if you're like, I've got zero skills, you actually don't need skills. All you need to do is to be able to think, Lord, send your spirit into one to come and to trust me to help you. There are certain rules that will stop you being weird, which I will make you stick to, like, you know, use a normal voice, don't behave in a weird way, like don't shake all over someone or be, make a drama of it, don't shout at them. Um, you know, don't stand so close that you freak them out, <laughs> something like that. So just like, rules about just being normal. And um, then I'll guide you through what we do and how we pray for people. And then when you come to join me on my teams on Sunday, when I say, oh, great, hey, me, you know, come and pray, you're going to think, oh, no, I was hoping to stay in my seat. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, no, is God really going to use me? And I tell you, God will use you because this is for the church and for the world. And so just honestly, just put your, um, your lack of self-confidence into a pending tray. If you suffer from that, I suffer from it all the time, I can't entertain it. It has to just like go into a little drawer of my life, like yes, obviously, I feel worthless and that's point, you know, but that's a pointless thought, so I just shove it in the drawer and do it anyway. So you can join me in the self-doubt, but do it anyway, crew. And if you're very confident with these things and you love to do it, you can come along too. So I'm going to take your names at the end, or I hope like Jack and, and Libby and Georgia and Toby, you can see any of that squad and they'll write your name down and I will invite you along to the training. Maybe some of you have already been invited. And the reason we act normal and be as relaxed as possible when we, when we invite Holy Spirit is because we don't want to get in the way. So we're inviting God's presence because it's all about people experiencing God, you know, we don't need them to experience us, they can experience us in the pub or, you know, having a chat, but when we're praying for them, we are praying for them to receive this impartation through laying on of hands of the power of the Holy Spirit, and when we pray for someone to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't know what God is going to do, we don't know if he's going to give them great wisdom, we don't know if he is going to impart a special anointing on their creative talents or their administration powers. We don't know what he's going to do. As we're praying, some ideas might come into our head. But we are just standing there accompanying our fellow pilgrims, really, our fellow travellers, and saying, God, send your Holy Spirit, because we are not designed to do life without him. 
We are designed to do life with him. And that is what lights up our lives. It lights up the life of the church and it therefore lights up the world. So there's an amazing knock-on when we surrender ourselves. And even as we put ourselves in this posture of saying, go on then, pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. Go on then, like God sent your spirit. We are worshipping because we're saying, God, you're bigger than I am. You, here I am. We're trusting. And that is a really beautiful uh, place to uh, be. It's like how we're made to be. We humble ourselves and God raises us up. So one thing to note is when we pray for people, I say to them, don't pray, because I'm praying. Because if you're praying for someone and they're like, praying away, Lord, yes, you know, please do this, please do this. You can't listen or receive if you're jabbering away, like actually jabbering or internally jabbering. So when someone comes to me and I say, okay, I'd love to pray for you, I'm like, okay, you relax. Just say something, okay, relax. And we're going to ask God to send his Holy Spirit. 